Welcome to The Gray Report. I'm your host, Spencer Gray. And whether you are a multifamily investor, aspiring or active, or you're just working in the multifamily industry, well, thank you for watching The Gray Report. This is the podcast and YouTube show that has been designed especially for you to keep you up to date with the best information in the multifamily industry, real estate, and the economy. We have got some very interesting reports that are going to help us to Give us some clarity, hopefully, for this you know fascinating market that we have seen the last several months. Reports from Newmark Apartment List, National Association of Home Builders, Marcus and Millichap, Rent Cafe, Fannie Mae, Capital uh, Speculator. Matt, we've got a lot of reports to get through. Let's get into it. All right, back again on The Gray Report, Director of Communications and Marketing Hello. here at Gray Capital. Matt Bosnagel joins us again. Matt, how's your week? Pretty great. I am, I'm excited. Uh, I think things are really moving at, at Gray Capital. Yeah. And um, I don't want to say like any kind of back to normal, but uh, but I like doing this work. It's it's great. Yeah, it's been an exciting week. And, you know, we're going to get into all the stories and reports here in a second. But, um, you know, there, we have had some movement. There's a lot of exciting things that are just happening, you know, here mm-hmm. at HQ. Um, you know, we've been building out a property management division um, over the last month or so. Again, uh, not to spoil any major announcements, but we've been working on bringing in more things in-house, being a true, you know, vertically integrated um, yeah. operator. Um, but we've got some uh, opportunities that are really exciting, um, given the current market conditions. I think we're getting, finding some great buys. Um, mm-hmm. We've been super selective, though. I was tallying up how many deals we've underwritten this year, Matt. Yeah. Um, 134 so far, um, and, and probably actually up to 135 now um, since I last looked at it. That's trickled down to only or only only like four deals that have actually penciled, um, and we may get yep. you know one or two out of that. Um, 134. So it takes, and that that's just that's those are all deals we've done a you know a pretty serious underwriting. It doesn't include mm-hmm. some of the deals we've just kind of tossed in the trash as soon as they've been sent to us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we've got some exciting opportunities. If you'd like yeah. to learn more, if you're an accredited investor, hop on over to Gray.Fund. I'm gonna send you over the information, um, the deck for the fund, the property supplementals. Um, start doing your due diligence. Um, so, but again, have to be accredited investor. But if you're interested in investing in some stabilized, cash flowing multifamily apartments in the Midwest, get in touch with us. Right. Matt, let's uh, let's get into the reports though. Um, you want to start with uh, the capital uh, spectator piece. Um, this was interesting. This was this popped in our uh, into our feed this morning. So, mm-hmm. uh, but it was, I think, a good overview on potentially a positive outlook for the economy for Q3 GDP. Um, so maybe we don't have a negative GDP number. Um, maybe that we had this quick technical recession and we're into some decent growth. Um, but you know, essentially after two quarters of contraction, US, G- U.S. GDP is on track to recover in the third quarter. Um, that This is being based on the median estimate for a set of uh, nowcasts that's compiled by Capital Spectator. Um, but... <laughs> A lot of this is based on the PMI survey data, and it's also pointing to an accelerating slide in the output that anticipates a deep recession. So I think maybe some immediate good news with some potential, you know, still potential recession hanging out there um, in the ether. Again, you know, the yield curve has been deeply inverted, Mm -hmm. and that would point to um, a recession, Um, not just the little technical one we're in right now, Matt. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd love to tell or I'd love to look at this, whatever the economic committee that decides whether it's called yeah. a recession um, to tell me how I should have been feeling for the past two quarters, because uh, I get good news even. And now I I doubt it a little. Um, I talked we talked about this like a month or so ago, how, you know, even the, the bad news, you kind of you're like, well, maybe there's some good news in it. And the good news that you're thinking, maybe there's some bad news in it. There's been so many mixed signals in this economy, yeah. whether it's like mixed signals of inflation, gas is down, but every, but uh, so many other things bad are up. Bad news is good news. Good yeah, news is yeah. bad news. So yep. so uh, at least they have that caveat in the in the article itself. Um, I I was thinking about that when I when I saw that headline is maybe the reason why it's come up so much is because it was really down a little bit earlier and this is kind of a little bit of a bounce back up. But I'm not uh, yeah I'm I'm not completely confident. But I I am I am thinking though that if if there is room to have this up and down it, instead of like a steep a steep you know downturn then maybe we're not headed for like an incredibly deep recession yep. if we're still wiggling around right now and and trying to kind of figure things out i'd much rather have that than like the certitude of doom or anything like yeah that. i I've, I've felt more positivity um through investors and mm -hmm. markets recently especially conversations we're having with investors um other business owners that they're they're seeing some um some positivity in the market not that there still aren't risks out there but I think we're we're navigating through this in, in not the not the worst way. And of course, this concern though, as a, a future recession, is really pointing to the you know, kind of slowdown in PMI or the producers and manufacturing um, index. Um, so people, you know, are making um, less stuff because of uh, you know less demand. Yeah, which makes sense. Less demand, potentially less jobs, less hiring. We've seen um, you know, some firings. You know, Ford laid off three thousand people. Yeah. They, they announced, um, which again, the bad news is is good news. That's exactly what the Fed wants to see. Mm -hmm. and, if, and just since we're talking about macro, um, and we're going to be talking about single family homes and the housing market as well, but you know, the Fed, while they haven't gotten inflation tamed, we're seeing signs and evidence is po evidence pointing to them, you know, achieving some of their goals. I mean, they wanted to cool off the housing market. Well. The single-family home market, which is what they're really talking about, that has certainly been cooled. Yeah, and we know inventories are out. I think eleven months, you know, right now, which they were only you know two or three months. Um, you know, we're not seeing price declines really, but we are seeing you know growth, um, the value growth um, ex decelerate extremely, mm -hmm. and, you know, which is kind of flat. Which I think a lot of people um, are happy to see. People don't want to see their homes decline in value, but that continued just you know growth on that exponential curve is just is really unsustainable yeah um so they're seeing the housing market cool off they're seeing um they want to see unemployment um increase slightly to try to just again cool things off a little bit yeah um now i would you yeah. did note about labor force participation and that's mm -hmm. one of the things that i that i would look at um at, at the next job report is how you know let's let's pretend that that the labor force participation was at the pre-pandemic levels yeah. how does that compare to you know the current labor force participation in the unemployment rate and kind of the net amount of jobs that are here now versus pre-pandemic yeah. once we're there then you know then i then i get a little nervous again because that's yeah. very low employment yeah. it's almost like the the amount of employment that they say is like maybe hard for the economy because there's less like uh there there's more friction in, in people can't drop a job and come back to it yeah because right now i mean if you lose your job like there's two waiting for you ready yeah. to go you're probably gonna get paid more yeah for the most part so 
not that it's ever fun to lose your job, but um, so that that's a, for the macro. Let's get into multifamily, national multifamily capital markets report for the second quarter of 2022. Um, this is from Newmark. Um, always put out a pretty decent report. Um, yep. But Matt, I'm always curious, you know, just getting into it. I mean, what do you think about the quality of this report um, in general? We- I think it's really nice. Um, last week, we covered Newmark's broad look at uh, commercial real estate markets in general, and, and we compared how multifamily performs compared to other real estate types. And this week, we get a more focused look on the apartment market specifically. Now, a lot of topics here are those that we covered last week, so there may not be as much need to dive into every single detail yeah. here. Um, but they're not skimping on multifamily. We've got a 25-page report on CRE markets as a whole last week, um, and now we have this 24-page report on on just multifamily, which is nice. Uh, Rent growth, effective rent growth accelerated to 13.5% over the trailing 12 months, the highest rate on record. On a quarterly basis, rents grew by 3.1% on average in the second quarter. Now, if you expand that out, what's that, like 12.4? So rent growth is is doing really well, just isolated in 2022. It's not just capturing and, last year. And again, just for for perspective, that is traditional. That's four years of growth in a year. You're getting yeah. a year's worth of rent growth in a single year. And that's um, already happened in 2022. And that's that's already happened. So that's that's you know again, we're not seeing the less growth than 2021, but still, I mean, just record shattering, mm-hmm. um, gro- you know, relative growth. Compared to history, and here's the the real story that I that I felt like I was thinking about in every single report that I was reading this week. It says rent growth is projected to increase into third quarter of 2022, but be, will begin to taper off through 2023 as high levels of new supply are expected to put pressure on fundamentals. That question is no longer um, about like housing demand yeah. as much as housing supply now, um, and it's not a question about. Oh, it's the supply so low. Look at look at how much demand is dwarfing it. It's now I'm thinking about how much is this new supply coming onto the market going to um, going to actually put a dent in demand. My my uh, my gut is that it's not. Um, and in one of the reasons I think it's not is or at least not majorly is because the timelines for construction are are continued to be you know pr- pretty long. I think um, I read some and and we'll get into this later, but I read some LinkedIn posts um, from. From the RealPage team that suggested maybe a lot of these uh, projections for apartment construction are a little bit uh, a little bit optimistic. Yeah. And instead of maybe like the fi- closer to five hundred, maybe we'd be closer to four hundred thousand wow. apartments, it's, which is still a lot, but it's uh, it's is, not as much. That is that is still a lot. I mean, they do they do um, mention that um, when looking at the market fundamentals, that uh, you know absorption last year was six hundred sixty thousand, which is almost like twice what we typically. Yeah. I mean, that almost outstrips supply, normal supply by, by double. Um, it talks about rising construction costs to have caused you know, nearly 50% drop in expected deliveries, to your point, Matt. Um, but they are saying that new supply has outpaced absorption in the first half of 2022. Okay. Now, that can catch up. But I also think it's incredibly important to um, reference that that's super market by market, submarket by submarket yeah. dependent. Yeah. And I think we're seeing that in like the Phoenixes and maybe Austin and some mm-hmm. of those other markets that have seen just like crazy amount of supply. So there's some slack in the market that has to be For kind sure. of like, you know, reeled in. But mo- a lot of other markets, um, again, especially what we're looking at, it, we're just not seeing that that amount of supply come yeah. online. Um, but then I also want to just mention, Matt, kind of the returns, kind of bottom line. How is this all um, 
How is this affecting in, you know, uh, in multifamily investors in total returns through uh, the second quarter of 22 average 24.4% on an annualized basis? Um, that's a 450 basis point increase from just 21. Um, now, inflation's you know, rocking at 9.1%. So that's you know, record high inflation. But you know, from the total returns on, on an annualized basis, you know, we're more than double, uh, doubling the rate of inflation. So when you're looking at trying yeah. to find an um, actual you know, real yield in today's market, well, you know, multifamily has been, been delivering. Um, w- w- I mean, the real returns multifamily, you know, are 15.3%. I mean, again, that's including inflation. Significantly outpacing inflation has been the case over the past 40 plus years with the expect- exceptions of the early 90s um, recession and then the Great Recession, um, which were, you know, were two, you know, relatively anomalous events. Not that it, it, it will certainly happen again. We'll have, you know, losses at, at some point. I mean, it's uh, there's certainly cycles but we're in a great environment for multifamily yep. right now, and it has been, you know, for the last, um, you know, several several years. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I, I think that this is a near term and maybe a medium term um, market condition for for apartments. But as you know, as a new supply comes online, maybe the calculation will change. But it's hard to, yeah, it's hard to see this the the fundamentals of the market changing significantly um, yeah. due to any any construction that com- that's completed. I but agree. they'll they'll still keep building. <laughs> uh, they they will they will still they will still keep building. And just look at this chart of rent growth. I mean, again, this just emphasizes the unique times that we're in and again again, there's a lag here between market rent growth and you know effective rent growth Mm -hmm. and this is effective rent growth market rent growth is even higher and there's some time to absorb this um so again this can kind of be the canary in the coal mine a little bit and and another thing that i've been thinking about and it may be present i may have this in my notes too um but is the difference between single family home like a mortgage cost Mm -hmm. and rent cost you know for as much as rent has grown 13 whatever percent the gap between the price of a mortgage and the price of a of like monthly rent has only grown and it's grown incredibly i I think i think that surprises a lot of people until they think about it and it Mm -hmm. makes sense um because they see the rent prices they think you're incredibly high, but if yeah, if you actually look at buying a house and getting a mortgage on what that mortgage payment's going to be, it's incredibly more affordable to rent rather than buy a home. Just yep. housing in general is expensive, and renting is still like the more valued option um, mm-hmm. w- without a doubt. And so that's what's supporting um, this growth, and we're seeing this um, the tightness in the single family home market just driving more people into renting in apartments. And it's hard to even find a single family home rental. So again, even if you people are just there aren't enough houses there are not enough apartments and one factor um is now that we're seeing more demand for kind of we've talked about this a little bit but more demand for three bedroom units mm-hmm. um in larger unit sizes it used to be you know studios ones and twos were where it was at yeah. and where families would go off and buy a home well there aren't any homes to buy they can't afford the homes people are kind of in you know in standby mode waiting for prices to correct or get a raise or they're saving up money and so we're seeing a huge demand for these larger floor plans three bedroom units mm-hmm. um, i think that's pr- there's probably also some hangover effects from the pandemic wanting yeah. like an extra office so it, it's and again we haven't been building a lot of three bedrooms in the last couple of years so there aren't that many um, at each property and so um, it, there's some really interesting dynamics and um, some 
opportunities when you're looking at you know purchasing an asset to see okay you know where are these three bedroom rents in comparing those to the rents of single family homes and yep. when you look at what the availability of single family homes is in the market it may see almost like a little bit of an arbitrage opportunity of mm-hmm. saying of trying to really compete with those single family homes yeah uh, maybe that requires a little bit more of a renovation but if the single family homes in your market are, are, are renting for you know three thousand a month and your three bedroom is renting for thirteen hundred well you might be able to get two thousand or or twenty five hundred if you do a decent renovation to be able to compete with that single family home still undercutting them by a couple mm-hmm. hundred dollars maybe five hundred maybe a thousand um but that's that's so that's a great value proposition to someone who's looking for a large unit. You know what I what I was thinking about when when you were saying this and and when I was reading about you know how uh, Gen how millennials and Gen Z are you know are renting more and they're you know maybe Gen Z is expected to rent for longer because of this mismatch yeah. between mortgage and um and and monthly rent payments is like a cultural shift. Mm-hmm. Now this is this shift has been, you know, largely related to economic circumstances. These people still and and we've seen uh we've seen surveys about everyone wants to buy a home. They're still millennials still want to buy a home more than yeah. they want to rent. Yeah. But what if, you know, it may just be at the margins, but what if there is a little bit of a shift and now people don't even care as much about about buying a home. It's not their dream well, anymore. Well, and they how got long, different dreams. And how long does it take from someone when they made the decision, all right, I just can't afford a home right now. Mm-hmm. Like they're not pursuing a home. They're not, they're, they're taking themselves out of the market. At what point do they decide, Oh, I'm going to get back into the market. You know, it's yeah. going to take a while, even when conditions improve, but you know, in their head, they still might not be able to afford it, even, even though they ha- they might be able to. They just haven't looked into it. And you know, I'm thinking about cultural and what and what you said about the three bedroom units and, and kind of being competitive is you know give people this single family home experience mm-hmm. and allow them to kind of participate in that same lifestyle. Yep. Maybe it's a ground floor with a yep. little bit of a fenced in thing, but something where it's like, hey, you get this single family. Look at the difference between this and the mortgage yep. mortgage you're paying. Well, and that's a great point. I mean, we're we're trying to do some of those things um, from the types of properties we're targeting a great capital and some of the improvements um so we, we've been targeting properties that have um attached garages um so you can you know dr- pull your car in walk right into you know your kitchen mm-hmm. or you have laundry room mudroom or whatever um but we're also um we're installing um like fenced in yards like little private yards on mm-hmm. first floor units where we're putting in you know like a nice wrought iron fence and then we're putting some artificial turf so whether you have kids or yeah. a pet, like you've got your own little like private space that again, it's not like a big yard, like you've got your space. Yeah. And then then when you think about, you know, a single family home compared to an apartment community and the amenities that you're gonna that you're gonna get at an mm-hmm. apartment community, apartment community, you're getting a pool often, getting a clubhouse, you're getting a workout facility, maybe a tennis court, maybe, you know, some yeah. other maybe some other amenities that you're just not gonna get at a single family rental. So when you're combining I've got a garage, I've got a decent size unit, I've got all of these amenities it is kind of a lifestyle yeah. um, decision that um, a lot of people it, it can it can make it can be sticky because it's hard to give all of those things up when you're going to have to the house that you might be able to afford you have to put more money into it it's not necessarily yeah. that nice um, and you don't have any of those amenities mm-hmm. you know so it, it's to walk away from that yeah some people don't want to do it just real quick Matt I think because I, th- I think folks will be interested in this and just seeing which markets have grown. Um, the most for rents um, compared to pre-pandemic levels. Um, San Francisco still in the negative. Wow. Um, but, you know, San Francisco at the bottom, 
Tampa at the top. Rents in Tampa have increased 43%. Phoenix, 41 There's a lot in the 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these are... Um, you know, a lot of Florida, um, a lot of, a lot of Florida markets, a lot of West coast markets. Most of these are in the, the Sun Belt, which isn't surprising. I mean, Phoenix, Vegas, Inland Empire, Jacksonville, Salt Lake City, Orlando, Miami, Atlanta, Raleigh, Durham, um, then, you know, Nashville, Austin, Dallas, and then Indianapolis. Um, and again, people, you know, Indianapolis is right next to Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's right next to Orange County. It's above San Antonio. It's above Denver. It's above Philly. It's above Kansas City. It's above Portland, Chicago, L.A. I think Indianapolis punches above its well, uh, weight class. And a lot of it is because, like, places, for instance, like L.A. and Chicago, those were places that dipped down early in the pandemic and yeah. kind of rose back up. Um, and th- there are other places that, you know, the story of each market is has really been different. Um, it really has. You know, about, like, their their performance pre-pandemic, during the pandemic, and now post-pandemic. Now the, the story of uh, San Francisco hasn't really changed. It's been sluggish throughout. But places yep. like Chicago have, have, you know, dipped down, coming back up places like uh tampa never went down at all it just went never up and up and up. no no everyone just started rushing and rushing then places into like indianapolis was just stable uh stable steady growth now let's move over to this um, apartment list piece pandemic rent growth has been faster in lower cost cities well we just saw the san francisco has been lagging behind um, markets like tampa indianapolis other great markets have been doing pretty well um better than some of those large markets Curious though, I mean, and, and I want to look at this this data visualizer. Pandemic rent growth has been faster. Um, there, there we go. I yeah, the, see that. Uh, will give us the, the animation is really eye catching, and it's uh, it's like almost mesmerizing. Um, I, I think it's it, what, what's even more compelling than this than this animation is that uh, is that this trend of, of higher rent growth in lower cost cities and the enormous gap between the major market price per unit and the price per unit of smaller markets um, and how the rent has grown. Um, and it's it's pretty um, it, it's not perfectly correlated, but uh, they make a really compelling point about uh about how you know the cheaper the apartment was pre-pandemic the uh the more rent growth it, it experienced and i think it kind of points to maybe future performance yeah a lot of uh, you know a lot of the uh the really high-flying markets even the ones that they cite here as strong performers um we're seeing some softness in terms of month to month they're they're, t- they're kind of casting a larger net uh yeah. when it comes to like time periods so they're they're saying you know that that phoenix and uh and austin are, are doing quite well when in fact you know lately they may not be doing yeah. and it's because of their rents were really high and that, yeah. and that just they've got to have the first to go. come down yeah um and and i i don't think that this is gonna like i think this is something that's like you said it's a market it's it's a market to market thing and a lot of it may have to do with supply i think some has to do maybe with inflation pressures but largely uh, it's hard to think of anything except for supply coming into the market that's that's kind of soft and it makes sense things. i mean if you're delivering your new luxury apartment um when the, the same another couple thousand units are being delivered mm-hmm. you need to get that thing leased up and typically i mean you give concessions you know you have to have competitive rents in that lease up to get to stabilization because you're yeah. on a race to get a refinance and to put permanent debt on that thing or sell it yeah um because you have you know short-term you know construction loan that you are you're sitting on or some kind of bridge loan um so it's a it's a race to get that thing leased up you can yeah. you know get your rents back up to where you think they need to be um you know in year two ideally you'd hit your market rents in year one but if you're running into a um, a you know a glut of mm-hmm. of inventory, 
Um, you're going to do whatever it takes to get leased up, get stabilized, and put some new debt on it. Maybe it's short-term bridge debt until you get fully up to market at a you know really good NOI. Yeah. Um, but it makes sense when that much supply comes on all at all at once. Yeah, they, and they pull out some markets there, but that I, I just thought that that short uh, apartment list piece was was interesting, and um, it it flows directly into this uh, into this rent cafe uh, report on apartment construction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about supply, Matt. Yeah. So um, I think that emotionally, the headline doesn't doesn't feel right because the headline says the best of times for apartment construction in half a century. It's the best of times. It, it was the worst of times. Yeah, exactly. maybe the implication, maybe they're relying on the readers to fill in the, the last the last yeah, half of that. They, um, they assume a lot. But taken alone, I I could be wrong, but I don't think that apartment developers are out there cheering on these things. Um, I haven't read too much about the labor and maintenance issues um, lately, but uh, but I don't think that they're substantially improving. I'm I'm definitely not reading about things like really markedly mm-hmm. improving in the past few weeks or months. Conditions may be better than they were in yep. 2021, um, but my guess is that apartment builders still have the headaches that they have to deal with. Uh, they're still looking for people to hire. They're still trying to find materials. You know, Maybe it's a different material one week than the next week, but there's still probably some log jams when it comes to the supply chain. Um, so I don't think that things are easier, especially with like, the pressures of inflation. Um, it, it may not feel like boom times, but what is for sure is that uh, that they're moving, that they're building, and that there is increased activity in the in, when it comes to apartment construction. So. Absolutely, and the, the supply is definitely coming online. Most of that in just a handful of Sunbelt markets, um, and with but, mm-hmm. uh, New York building the most, which isn't that shocking, such a large um, metro. Um, but you know, Nashville, Dallas. Um, I know Huntsville, a lot of markets are, you know, there's a lot of inventory coming online. Just they've got um, a quick graph just showing this. Um, and a lot of us, because this should have this all this growth um, should have taken place, you know, um, a decade ago or yeah. five, five years ago. And mm-hmm. we just weren't building. I mean, looking, you know, to that 2011 to 2014, it's just we didn't build that much. Yeah. And if you compare it to like. 72 through 80, 84, it's exactly. a little bit more. There's some peaks and slumps, but like definitely a lot more periods where construction was a lot heavier than it was ever between like 96 and 2008. Yeah. And again, most of the supply is like going on just a handful of, of markets. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, let, let's look at this top 20 metros by projected new apartments. Um, and so these are the markets that you want to. Um, I'd say be careful. I mean, the the, the growth is there. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's the all the, you know, following the trends, these are great places to be. But there is a risk of oversupply that you just need to be aware of. Um, there's Phoenix, um, Denver. I mean, I guess number one is New York City and then Dallas. Um, and the uh, three in the top five are all in Texas, Dallas, Austin, yeah. and Houston. Um, we've got Nashville, Tennessee, Atlanta, Georgia, Miami, Florida, um, Seattle, Washington, um, so, you know, kind of, I would, I would be watching the cranes in these markets, making sure that mm-hmm. demand is still there. And, um, yeah. And that's the one thing that was missing from the sport that I wanted to see is, uh, is new supply as a proportion of current supply and, mm-hmm. and see, you know, okay, so how much is this going to really impact? Because yeah, places like New York. Yeah. 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 yeah ex- exactly. Yeah. Because on a percentage of inventory in New York, it's not that much. Yeah. Um, so it's like, I, I almost kind of, the new, New York 
city is kind of its own animal in mm-hmm. itself that needs to kind of be looked at, I think, a little bit in a vacuum. Yeah. And it can really kind of mess up a lot of national figures as well. As we were looking mm-hmm. at some of the, like the largest deals um, so far this year, I mean, a handful of those were in New York. You could, you could kind of take New York and California out. Yeah. And, and it, would, it would make or the numbers And even like H- Houston and Dallas themselves are just such enormous um, cities and markets that uh, that they can post these huge numbers and really the percentage of current inventory yeah. isn't isn't that much. You, you know, it's a little troubling to me. Um, I see an opportunity and a major kind of red flag, and, and that is one that you know Tampa is. While this is like the top twenty metros for new supply, so I mean Tampa's got six thousand, and that that is a lot of apartments. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of apartments, but there's a ton of demand in Tampa. But it's similar to Minneapolis, yeah. um, St. Paul, and Minneapolis, St. Paul has just been like suffering so yeah. so bad. People are leaving Minneapolis. That's a and, really interesting side um, by side for sure. I, that the, to me that 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 is a little. That worries me for even more for the Minneapolis mm-hmm. market because I'm not seeing that demand come back. Although now, if maybe. you scroll up a little, I just want to note one thing. It, this is inter- no, no the, to that uh, to that bar graph that you were just looking at. Um, now this is like an animated an animated um, chart oh, here, it? and I wanted to note how like this is just some little thing. You know, this is I'm always looking is for it, little new tools it's to animated, use. Animated, yeah. Um, and they could have used a bunch of line graphs to show this change over time, but instead they have these bar graphs that change That's and kind true. of and you see. So the, I wanted to get the order of the stack. Yeah, you get the order of the stack. You kind of see a little bit of like a rat race feel. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it would be the same. There's multiple ways to display this information, but I think that this is more exciting and engaging. And I'm always looking for ways to visualize this data and and to make you know make a different point than you are yeah um this it makes me feel like you know things are things are moving things are jostling you see a lot of movement where if as if it was a bunch of lines on a on a single line graph um it may not may not have been as exciting so. i think i think it's a good point i think i think they've got they want to do the ranking yeah. um so this is yeah that's kind of more well anyway matt let's uh let's move on mm-hmm. um where do you want to go next you want to go uh nahb yeah a couple a couple of a uh they really flow together i think um, we're, we're still talking about multifamily construction um and there was a significant jump in multifamily rental development um as measured or at least as reported by the national association of home builders this very brief report and the one that follows is a perfect segue from the multifamily market to housing general um but uh Suffice to say, multifamily construction is up, which is great for increasing multifamily supply. At 142,000 units started, this was the largest quarter for rental multifamily construction since the second quarter of 1986. Um, And also, in terms of the balance of apartment construction condos, 96% were apartments and 4% were condos. That's a lot of apartments, um, but again, we need them. Now, I've read some LinkedIn posts from the RealPage team, again, that suggests that despite this historic amount of multifamily construction going on it's still slow going that's something that i mentioned right uh in the last report not necessarily rose-colored glasses we could see some extended timelines um i think that maybe you know some of these projects that were part of the the record amount of home permits could extend um past their completion date and into 2025 easy yeah yeah so yeah. i i think it's uh i i think it's definitely something to, to look at and it's this is this is where we're getting t- into the almost longer term things. So past the immediate and maybe medium term, then if we still see supply coming, that's this that that 
that it is that quickly, then maybe we'll we'll see some like national demand. Yeah, definitely issues. see some softening. Yeah. Um, so you want to pop on over to the National Association of Home Builders' other report yes. on new home sales? They plummet in July. So Matt, is this the fallout? Is this the, the disaster, the crash <laughs> that we've been talking about, or people <laughs> you know, somewhere have been talking about for ye- for years? I don't. I- I don't, I don't think so. Um, the, the apartment market is, is humming along with activity, but the single-family home market uh, is maybe more, instead of humming yeah. or buzzing, maybe we get crickets. Um, home sales are down. They're at their lowest level since uh, January 2016, and as and this is as a quote, as the industry grapples with supply chain disruptions that are delaying new home building projects and raising ho- housing costs are also a burden as mortgage rate interest rates increased so there's the call back you know again to the to the rose colored glasses in the, yeah, in the rate yeah. cafe headline and it also says that nationally on a year on a year-to-date business new home sales are down 15.7 percent for the first seven months of 2022 on um on, regionally on a year-to-date business new home sales fell in all four regions it was down 14.9 in the northeast 26.5 in the midwest 13 0.4% in the South and 15.7% in the West. Those are all down. Um, I think that uh, I, I, it's hard for me to think, and we were talking about this beforehand, is you know home, home values haven't necessarily uh, plummeted like yep. home sales, but it's hard for me to think, you know, if sales goes down, demand goes down, what are they yeah, going to do? Yeah, if there's more, if there's less buyers than sellers. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's pretty pretty basic. So economics. I, you know, I'm wondering what's the knock on effects. You know, what are, what is the consequence, and, and how is this going to kind of redound um, to the apartment market? And, and yeah. we can kind of discuss that in, in a little bit. But I just thought that was an interesting. Two little quick reports that uh, that really flow into that Marcus and Millichap, uh this Marcus and Millichap housing affordability special re- report. Housing affordability special report from Marcus and Millichap, um again for this month in August. Um, this is, I think, incredibly important um, because you know we are seeing some major affordability issues, mm-hmm. part of the housing crisis, especially in kind of this workforce housing, um, kind of C and you know B minus class. Um, so what is what is the conclusion of the report, Matt? You know, um, th- this is a crisis. I think that, that we're still in the housing affordability crisis, and it's difficult to read these these words and then see headlines in some YouTube videos where we're talking about a um, housing implosion, uh, the housing bubble is bursting as we speak. You know, and and words like impending. Uh, and words like collapse, they still mean something. There's like impending means it's about to happen. If, and if you say that every single day for two months, then <laughs> impending doesn't really mean that, does it? Yeah, I mean, that's true. Maybe, we, we, only say, say we only say it every couple of weeks yeah, yeah. As, as, a, as a teaser. That, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but also collapse. I would say that's definitely not the right word to use because collapse means like it's falling under its own weight. There's something in uh, there's something inherent in the housing market that is going to lead it to collapse. It's, it's like, like, su- like suppressed or, you know, yeah. it's like you know, it's being pushed down from from an external source. Yeah. And and I think that, you know, there's a graph. We talked about this statistic um, just earlier on in today's show, but um, just the mortgaging, the price, the cost of a mortgage versus the cost of of rent so obviously um so this is the chart on the right side of the screen if you're listening on the podcast looking at a graph comparing um apartment rents and your average mortgage payment historically the past couple of years has been there's been like a spread of like you know two hundred dollars or so basically two to four two to four hundred dollars say mm-hmm. that spread right now is a thousand bucks yeah that is insane um that's a real 
that is something that I would put on the thumbnail. That's that's believable. Things are exciting happening, and there's like crazy things happening in the housing market. You don't have to talk about it collapsing. You can talk about how the gap between uh, mortgage and rent payment is five times almost five times. what it used to be. Five. That's like five incredible. Times. Yeah. And, and and like for all this stuff, and we talked about for the last two or three weeks about how rents are going to move inflation. Um, but man, when it, it seems like they've got even more room to grow, if we're talking about uh, for comparing them to a mortgage payment, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, fewer households can afford to own homes. I mean, look at this. Look at this graph. Um, I yeah. mean, it, look at that sharp, sharp decline. What was the um, the? Of, it's comparing minimum minimum annual income that you're going to need mm -hmm. to um, afford a home, and then just how many houses, the percentage of houses that could afford in 2019. Um, uh, just under 50 percent of households could afford a home, mm -hmm. um, and that you'd you'd have to be making, you know, a, a you know basically you could afford around 100, basically the annual income to be able to afford was hundred thousand. Um, hundred thousand dollars. Now it, it's only less than thirty percent of households can afford to own a home. I mean, going from call it fifty percent down to twenty some percent. Yeah, that's a lot of people who, again, we've talked about this in the past. The there are so many individuals that were renters by potential renters by choice mm -hmm. that are now renters by necessity. Now they may still be making good incomes. But they still can't afford a home. Yeah, and that cultural shift makes it, it. It could happen because of these forces. It could really happen where it's like, you know what? I thought about I thought about buying a house, but after so long, it's like, why is it even worth it? Why is it even worth it? And again, for the value they're getting for for an apartment, and again, this is why we're, we we're seeing and we can expect to continue to see growth in the kind of solid B class through the luxury A, a class segment. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the C class workforce housing is going to catch up, but there's so many. That's the, the kind of that bottom quartile or you know whatever of you know renters mm -hmm. of incomes that are just they're going to be struggling due to inflationary pressures. Um, in the short term, I think that those wages are going to increase over time. And I, I, think, I just think there's a little bit more risk speculating what's going to happen on that income segment. But there's going to be a lot more demand. There already is, again, in that B and A yeah. um, kind of class space. Yeah, a uh, lot of lot of great information on this. It, it was a relatively short report, but, um, but yeah, really good interesting. Job. Good job. All right, now, Matt, just to wrap up... Um, <laughs> We got some good comments mm -hmm. on YouTube, and we said, hey, if you give us a good comment, not only will we reply, which we will, but we'll cover it um, right on the show. And we haven't gotten to some of these replies, um, so I figured let's just do them now, and then yeah. we'll get, get back to you on the internet as well. Um, but for Harry says, he's asking, can softness in single-family housing help multifamily, or at least not bleed over? Well, I think we've been talking about this exactly. Man. You know, I have I had some comments in our and just in our last segment about um, about this issue completely, and I was like, well, you know, and, and all of the reports you see here are talk about, oh, you know, it's expensive, so now they're going to come into the apartment market. I don't think that it's like an incompressible uh, that it's all that it's automatically going to divert right to apartments. Um, like maybe it will, maybe they'll get roommates, maybe they'll move in with their parents. But yeah, we will. I think I think that because it is an external force because this isn't like an we're not facing an implosion that's due to the softness of the housing market fundamentals mm -hmm. we're due the implosion is due to uh is financing due, it's financing thing. yeah it's yeah. so it's mortgage rates and then guess what doesn't have a mortgage rents <laughs> rents they sort of do they, yeah. they do yeah. but <laughs> yes i correct um okay 
so I think we did a good job responding to that, Matt, um, before even getting to the comment. I was overly excited almost. <laughs> now, another comment from uh, Four-Eyed Lady Original. Why does the sofa matter? It's a great question. It's a lot of people who aren't you know, doing this every single day. Like, what what is what what is SOFR? SOFR is a secured overnight financing rate. It's what replaced LIBOR. Um, LIBOR was the kind of the shorter term financing rate. Um, the that was kind of based off of a London exchange, and you know that it was a little bit more op- a little opaque um, mm-hmm. in the opinions of many so um sofer was created kind of the federal reserve runs it from my understanding and it is what all variable re- most i wouldn't i won't say all but the vast majority now of variable floating rate loans are indexed to um so you know typically when you're buying if you're buying a multifamily property, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you're looking at kind of the, what most investors, not all, then not always us either. If you're going down the road of using their Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, also known as the agencies, typically they have generally two options with, with, with some sub options, but either, you know, fixed rate or floating rate. Mm-hmm. Now there's different terms and, you know, there's affordable and there's mission, there's green, there's different stuff, but it's fixed or floating fixed. Your interest rate is just, is locked in for your term. Five, seven, ten years, twelve mm-hmm. years. Floating rate, you have a spread, um, and that sorry, that fixed rate is indexed to the ten-year Treasury, and then there's a spread that the lender is going to charge. Okay. So you know we're going to charge a two hundred basis point spread over the ten-year Treasury. Ten-year Treasury's at three percent. Two hundred basis points. That basically means two percent. So you're paying five percent. Right. I understand that. <laughs> yeah. So that's and so the floating rate's not too different. So it's whatever the SOFA rate is, which is which is updated. Um, you know. Every thirty days, essentially. Oh, okay, okay. It's a thirty. It's a thirty day sofer. Um, no, for LIBOR, there's a th- there's a three month LIBOR and a thirty day LIBOR. Sofer, I, I think it's just thirty days. Now there are two different sofers mm-hmm. that you want to pay attention to the difference, but in generally, it's linked very closely to the Fed funds rate. And so, as the Fed funds, as the Federal Reserve raises their Fed funds rate, typically sofer tracks it pretty much in lockstep. And so you have your spread that you're going to um, have at the again that the, your lender is going to charge. It's sort of like their profit that spread over SOFR. And as SOFR moves, your overall interest rate. So let's okay. say if okay. SOFR today is uh, let's call it a, uh, one one and a half percent. If your spread is 300 basis points, which would be a, a, lo- a high spread, but or for a bridge loan to be pretty relatively typical. So you're paying um, you know 300 spread over one uh, one and a half. So you're paying four and a half. And so you'd say, okay, well, that floating rate is less than the fixed rate. It's a good good option. But if SOFR moves to 2%, 3%, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're paying 6% because you're 300 spread plus the 300 basis point of the interest rate. Now you're paying more than if you would have fixed it. Okay. And so you, okay. there's a little bit of risk of volatility. You often have to purchase your interest rate cap mm-hmm. that kind of uh, prevents the rate from going too high, but you have to pay up for that. It's an insurance product. Now, if it does go up, though, the value of that cap can, can increase. We've actually made hundreds of thousands of dollars this year just on the value of our caps. Yeah. So Wow. Okay, so that really is interesting. So, yeah. so for, you know, pay attention to it because there's a lot of loans. That's how that everything's financed. It's yeah. the rate that everyone is um, financing these apartments. Um, you could just look at the Fed funds rate that'd give you an idea, mm-hmm. but so far is very important. Really so cool. All right, everyone, I appreciate everyone watching this episode of The Gray Report. Catch us next week. We're going to be digging into similar reports, uh, getting into what's going on in the multifamily market, real estate, and the economy. Make sure you've signed up for the Gray Report newsletter. It's going to have way more articles and insights than even that we can cover on the show. Hop on over to greatcapitalllc.com newsletter. And if you are an accredited investor, 
we've got some deals coming out. You want to get in the know sooner rather than later, go to gray.fund, get the deck, schedule a meeting, and subscribe to invest in the Gray Fund. Looking forward to talking to you soon and seeing you next week on the Gray Report. Have a good rest of your week.